0: Hello and welcome to Access Chat. It's maybe taken us a few years to finally get Hector on the show, but we're really pleased to have you here. So, welcome, Hector Minto, uh, Accessibility Evangelist for Rest of World, I think it is now, isn't it, uh, for Microsoft. So, uh, really pleased to have you. Thanks, Neil. Good to see you.
1: Good to see you, Deborah, Antonio. Uh, I have not been avoiding you. I just want to make that super clear from the start. Yeah. <laughs>
2: But we really wanted to have you on, Hector. You play such an interesting role and um, and you play a global role. So we, we were very excited because Neil would say, I asked Hector again, but he's, he's got these other speaking engagements. I asked him again. So anyway, we have been a bit stalking you. So I'm, thank you.
1: I'm, I always wanted to give my seat up to some people who who had really something interesting to talk about, you know, a product or a a program. (laughs) Uh, I always think of myself as a generalist. So I'd much rather always deliver you a specialist.
2: Well, Uh, he needs your work, too, though.
0: Well, you're you're amongst other generalists here. So welcome. Uh, So, um, yeah, so just. For the audience, obviously we know each other well, but tell our audience who you are, how you came into the profession. A bit of history would be great.
1: No problem. Uh, So hi, everyone. I'm Hector Binto. I'm the Lead Accessibility Evangelist at Microsoft. And my role is essentially to scale confidence on disability inclusion and accessibility uh, at Microsoft around the globe with all of our teams and our offices uh, and do a ton of customer engagement, government engagement, essentially... uh, subject matter expert on disability inclusion and accessibility. Uh, I've done nothing else my entire career. I spent 25 years working in technology and disability, uh, working all the way up from uh, the very earliest page turners for people with physical disabilities through to light writers. I don't know if you remember those or come across those, they're still around. Uh, Typing keyboards for people who who are non-verbal, AAC. Uh, And then I moved to Possum to do home automation for people with physical disabilities, working essentially for a spin-off from the NHS in the UK, uh, using you know, home control before everybody wanted home control, right? <laughs> uh, uh, and then I went to work for Toby doing eye gaze for 10 years, uh, Toby's, Toby Dynavox in Sweden. Um, my background, well, the reason I got into it was essentially because I was fixated on the topic pretty early on in life. Uh, my mum I hate it when she listens to these, by the way, because she, she she rings me up and says, oh, "I see you noticed me. You, oh, you mentioned me again on a on a on a podcast." Um, but honestly, she dragged me to a, a special ed class, as you would call it in the UK, uh, as a teenage boy, and I and I made a ton of new friends in the in the in the world uh, in my village where I lived in, in Bristol in the UK. Uh, and from that day forward, I was kind of obsessed with this concept of like, how do we how do we just empower people, right? Uh, and so. I came out of my degree, got bored, thought I'm going to just go and do this. And, and, and I've had an amazing career. Honestly, it took me 20 years to get to Microsoft. Uh, but honestly, I, I really the reason I joined Microsoft and came out of the assistive technology space was this is a seriously important moment in human history we're sitting in right now. We're bit, think of think of like digital tech is essentially the buildings of today, right? It's the, it's the you know, we used to think about the accessibility of buildings. We have to think about the structural inclusion of people with disabilities and technology now. And to all of my friends from my career in assistive technology, you have so much to offer the world in terms of your knowledge and experience about how to build that. So uh, this is a rambling intro. I recognize that, deal, uh, But yeah, I mean, this is my my history. My journey is, is honestly pure uh, assistive tech
0: which is quite unusual for someone of our generation to be fair so um, yeah you
1: you did something similar though Neil
0: I've been in it for a similar length of time but I came about it I did have some other jobs first so um so it's usually a second career um yeah I I I had a a very unprofitable record label um worked in the music (laughs) and video business did the art's degree at, at uni um and some re- pretty random jobs before working in sort of dot coms and, and 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 yeah fat, dropped into assistive tech and immediately found my my vocation. So, but yeah, it's been it's been a really long and interesting career, and you get to play with loads of stuff, right? And and yeah, work with some great people as Deborah put in the chat. You'll try find your tribe. So so I think that 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 community that is built that you're part of that we're part of that we we consciously try and grow thank you i should have done everyone checks their phones now (laughs) Uh, so yes couldn't couldn't happen i'm i'm doing well on video interviews this week
2: Um, (laughs) no technology problems at Uh, all none
0: whatsoever um So, uh, so that that tribe, that that community, and you're right. The focus on how we can make tech and the ecosystem, because tech is the ecosystem that we all live in now, mm. work for everyone is is super important. And I think
2: talking of ecosystems, there, there's big talk of new
0: ecosystems coming up. Yeah. So, you know, Facebook rebranded to Meta stole the the logo of several other large um, virgin media and several other <laughs> large organizations with the sort of infinite loop. But the point being is that the metaverse is is the hot thing right now. Um, we were talking about Second Life while we were offline, which was yep. a proto of, of the metaverse. And then recently this week, Microsoft announced some stuff about the metaverse in teams so maybe uh, you know you can tell us a little bit about the the plans and also then we can talk about the the opportunities there are for sure i mean i'm not qualified
1: to talk about the the the, the plans for metaverse but but fundamentally no. it's being predicted as one of the next big things for technology essentially a a remote existence in a physical space there's been a lot of work done over the last number of years with hololens and hololens 2 in terms of taking people into a space physically through avatar so for training for functionality for uh walking around buildings or walking around new car designs and things like this there's this idea that you can you can do this uh using your hololens or increasingly now going to be built into mainstream technology through through, through meta right or through metaverse it is nothing we've not seen before in terms of as you say with uh, it really is just second life but it's like this. is this moment, probably, when the mainstream starts to go. Oh, this is interesting, and perhaps COVID and remote mm-hmm. access and and perhaps the sustainability movement is pushing a lot of this and saying, actually, we don't need to fly up to that factory when we can do things remotely. So there's a lot of that that's gaining momentum from an accessibility perspective. On the face of it, you know, again, great opportunity if, you, if we take away the need to travel. Yeah, and some of the, some of those, you know. Barriers that exist for, for many people with disabilities, then of course this, this comes with great opportunity. But of course, it also comes with great risk that we don't design people with disabilities into the experience. It's always Again. yeah. Again, right, Deborah, right? I mean, it, it, this is genuinely, Deborah, I've always said that's why assistive technology exists, because it's essentially somebody designing something for the bit that wasn't that didn't work in the first place, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, as Microsoft and as the, you know, we put a huge focus on accessibility increasingly. Uh, And, you know, we've been on a long journey on accessibility at Microsoft for for over 20 years. Uh, You know, we've got to make sure that we're in the room. I'm not going to start singing Hamilton. You know, I think I always joked with Neil about this. It's like, you know, got to be in the room where it happens. Otherwise, you know, as accessibility people, we've got to be in the room where it happens, because otherwise, you know, it's not going to happen by accident. Accessibility is always deliberate. Um, But I I watched the keynote, and and there was this amazing moment where the avatars had individual subtitles or transcription essentially it was actually being used as a translation demo yeah you could have somebody japanese somebody english and the, and the automatic translation would just be showing in captions underneath them which in the face of it wow that really augments the human experience what that means for somebody who's deaf hard of hearing somebody who uses captions it means that actually in a, in a in a in a virtual meeting room where three people are talking over one another you're going to be able to see what somebody's saying right so there's there's big benefits Potential in that world, but as always, technology is is may become more accessible for somebody and less accessible for somebody else. And you know, the more that we work in a world where things are not not personal uh, personalizable, let's use that word. Uh, you know, we've got to make sure that this emerging tech has the same personalization available to it that we've got used to in an email or a web page or, or whatever that might be. So. New tech, we, you yeah, we're very, we actually, Neil, just personally, I always like it when we create a little bit of noise or a bit of friction with new technology, because that gives me and our team, you know, we get permission to knock on the door uh, of that team and say, right. <laughs> let's let's chat. Let's, let, 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 here we go. Um, but so, so please don't ever feel that we, you're never going to get me to kind of legal my way out of a conversation about accessibility and technology, right? You know, we want, we, we embrace that friction sometimes to make sure that we can move the world forward.
0: Yeah.
2: But, which is such an important point. I, I just want to comment on a couple of things. Uh, in the first place, and I've said this before, and um, I haven't traveled in a couple of years, obviously because of mm-hmm. the pandemic. But before that, when I was traveling heavily and I was going to develop countries, all Microsoft would always be at the table. Mm-hmm. I remember one time in Egypt, in Cairo, um, Microsoft was the only vendor, it was the only corporation there. Mm-hmm. And the audience was just going after Microsoft because <laughs> this wasn't accessible. This was, yeah. and, and I remember at one point just saying, "Okay, these gentlemen came from mm. Microsoft to listen to us, and you know, we're just like ripping them apart." So it, it, it was just—I just wanted to acknowledge that. That a lot of times when you're in the room, and I know that they face us at ATOs as well. Not always appreciated that you're in the room, so I just mm. wanted to make that comment. Another comment you said was when we were teasing you about not being on the show before, and you said, "I want to make sure that others could talk about what they were doing." and And I think that is just such an important leadership comment to make. So I want to say that to you, Hector, because I know that you're located in the U- the UK, but we know about your work in the U S. and we all appreciate you. Just want to let you know, but at the same time. Uh, the Second Life comment that came up. I know my daughter with Down syndrome really loved Second Life and Sims. and But at the same time, I have a sister that I didn't grow up with that also loved Second Life but what she did was she actually started using it as her first life and she really mm-hmm. stopped engaging with the family because she didn't like who she was in real life she still doesn't and i love her so much but she doesn't see what i see when i look at her so i i'm curious about because i know we've been working on stuff like this as society for years and years you, so you're putting all the pieces together and is and i agree with you hector we can't build anything anymore that's not accessible. It's I was mm. talking yesterday to the IEEE and they said, give us one word. And I said, accessibility. Mm. What the heck? Accessibility improves it for all of us. But so, but there is a mental, pretty significant mental health mm. aspect associated with everything going online. And I know yeah. you can't solve all these problems, but I was just wondering if we could explore that a little bit
1: too. Yeah. And and so every technology. Can be used for, well, can can lead to negative impacts. You know, the whole I, I, one of my one of my lines <laughs> is when somebody says to me, "What's assistive technology?" and I will say, "Well, what's non-assistive technology?" <laughs> like, like, like you know, isn't the whole point of technology is that it assists us uh, as humans? I always think of assistive technology in our world is just diverse assistive technology. Yeah? It's like that—that that should really be how we describe it. Yeah. So, so but, but technology will always do harm and do good and and how do we focus it on on doing good yeah and and actually how do we ensure that we're tackling the harm that any technology does in the world right so so i, I totally agree with you um i i have personal disability in my family uh and, and so my, my brother's autistic he spends i would argue too much time at home on a computer compared to uh you know what i Want him to do now. That's not my decision to make. That's his decision to make, <laughs> right? But the whole point here is, uh, you know, if, if, if there are if there are remote worlds where people can just lose themselves in, of course, that that we've got to actually say, as a society, what do we want as people? Yeah, and and we've got to we've got to make sure that digital doesn't doesn't become the only option. One of the things Deborah I always think about is the closing of post offices and banks, and everyone goes, "Oh, this is progress." And you're like, "Well, actually, go to a bank on a Monday morning and." tell me who's there and it's everybody who wants that human engagement wants that personal contact and we as humans have to decide do we want all of this actually it, on, on the face of it we absolutely want everything to be easy right or assistive uh, <laughs> yeah uh, but 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 actually society we benefit from human interaction i'm in the office today for the first time in in a long time yeah uh, and, I, and I've and i been first team meeting with 20, 30 people in the room. So nice to see people. But the, the, the casual progress I made with people is probably more important than some of the team's calls that I've been having for you know, diaried meetings. Mm. So look, everyone says, oh, good, we can just do everything remotely. But what do we miss out on when we do it? Society, frankly, is dealing with exactly that challenge right now. But you're, to, you know, I, I get where you're coming from, Deborah. We've got to. We, we've got to give people options we shouldn't we should never remove options without careful thought would be would be the thing it's a bit you know with that film wally when all the humans yes. have evolved and everyone's going around on the kind of little pods uh you know and they don't move anymore because they're essentially just plugged into their screens the whole time it, 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 it you know it's jokingly isn't it that, that's kind of like where we're heading right in in many regards mm-hmm. I think what's actually, I think I'm starting to see already is people really benefit from human touch, right? Human interaction. Yes. You're going to you're going to continue to do that. Um, we talk a lot about hybrid now in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is how we take the conversation, but remote work for many people with disabilities is enormous. I mean, it's a huge opportunity. The the impossible that many organisations felt pre pandemic. In terms of somebody couldn't possibly not work nine to five in the office, right? Is a massive boon for people with disabilities in many regards. Yeah, uh, but but what we got to be careful with is that we don't turn that into the default. Yeah, you know, we we've got to we got to hybrid. We got to we got to we got to find got to find options.
0: Great. So we often have you know, we are all excited about technology. Many people around the world are excited about the new technologies and are developing them but how can we uh, make sure that we're able to keep that balance you know i'll just give you a a random Mm. example that was i was listening today where the portuguese health services they were complaining oh uh, you know people that are older than 80 they are not doing their uh, third wave vaccine bookings online of Mm. course they're not you know Uh, Mm. some of them they might depend from other people to do those things how do we make sure that we keep a balance and we are aware of the others and we don't expect everyone to do things online because some of them they might not know how to do it and others they don't have access so
1: this all boils down to representation. I, I, I feel like I have to say the same thing again and again and again. The fact is that the 80-year-olds are not represented in the people building that project out, right? They're not in the workplace, more often than not, right? Uh, and and this is exactly, honestly, people think accessibility is so complicated. It's not. What we've proven at Microsoft over the last number of years, and we're still on a journey, I, I'm always wary that we, we we come across a little bit as though we're trying to say everything's perfect at Microsoft. It's not, right? We, we All businesses are on a, on a journey. But whenever anybody says to me, "How? What's the quickest way to make progress?" It's obvious: representation. Yeah, and and it's not just the representation of uh, new hires. Although, please do new hires, right? You know, like, like inclusive hiring. Absolutely, practice this. Um, but it's also having conversations with people who are not talking about their disability in the workplace already. Yeah. So one of my favorite, honestly, if I if you asked me what what is my biggest achievement in the last five years at Microsoft, honestly, the thing I'm most proud of is the number of colleagues who share their disabilities with me on a daily basis who were never talking about that before. And not only are they talking about it now and saying this doesn't work for me and I need this to work for me, things like my training. You know, I've got one of my colleagues, Kelly, She'll, she won't mind me name dropping her. Uh, she, we all talk about Kelly's dyslexia and she's like, every year Microsoft drops this enormous amount of training on me and it absolutely stresses me out. Now she just clicks read aloud or in Edge and she just listens the whole training and, and gets it all. Whereas before she had to literally put aside weeks of time to go and do that training, we've 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 because she disclosed to me, and this is the point, she discloses a disability. Somebody then transacts with her, okay, let's let's personalize, let's personalize this experience. Yeah. And suddenly you feel inclusion. You know, that that's how we move inclusion forward. Now what's happened now is obviously she's much more confident. And I'm not picking on Kelly as an example, but she's she's like a she's her own evangelist now. She tells everybody about these experiences and that's how we scale representation is how we will tackle life's challenges it, it, what about this thing that happened at COP this week and we shouldn't uh, I'm not making a political statement about it but I tweeted about it so I should maybe mention sure. it um but there was this moment where everyone was saying wasn't it disgusting that the COP event wasn't accessible to the Israeli delegates the Israeli elected politician in a wheelchair yeah uh and, and everyone says well isn't it disgusting and I'm, and I'm kind of sitting there thinking no it's great <laughs> because because you know we wouldn't have known that had she not been elected." Well done! Applause. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and the fact that she was the attache to the event to expose what worked, what didn't work, is how we make progress. Yeah, like these these moments shouldn't always be moments where we. And it goes back to what you're saying about your Egypt trip, Deborah. Let's give people permission to learn and move forward. Like like, don't like we can castigate and we can critique and we can criticize and, and absolutely we've got to do it. Yeah, but then what we've got to do is stage two is say okay, can we make progress together, yeah? You know, and actually, do you know what? I, I, one of my other lines, uh, <laughs> like one in six people have a disability. I mean, people are saying one in four now, right, Deborah? Um, but, but one in two people love somebody with a disability or care about this topic deeply. Yeah? And, and we've got to embrace that as, a, as an accessibility community and say, this is not about only everyone knowing exactly how everything works. This is about winning hearts and minds, and and taking the social justice of inaccessibility to task. Yeah, I love your line, Neil. And I, I steal Neil. And I I always steal Neil's lines. <laughs> but I love Neil's line about in, inaccessibility is digital pollution. What a line! I mean, like like you're a poet, Neil. No. It's it's like it's like. Inaccessibility is digital pollution. It is, it's the blocker that stops me participating. Yeah? Uh, and, and, and once people understand that and understand there are things they can do, knowledge, build knowledge, make micro commitments in year one, progress in year two. Once people start, once you get somebody to start doing that kind of stuff, that's how we're going to start making progress. But it, but it starts with that recognition and that that I have another hashtag that I use internally at Microsoft, like this is us. So. We talk so much about accessibility as if it's a deliverable only, uh, but it's not. It's our it's lived experience too. A it's a human that, thing. That, right. Exactly. It, you know, we have exactly that same representation as anybody else, any of our customers, yeah? And actually, when we start having this conversation internally and recognise our own representation and empower it and create platform for it, we will all start to make progress on the topic.
0: So so, so I, I, there's a few things you said that I want to pick up on, right? So... So, I think that absolutely we we want to create those cultures within our own organizations and for our clients, where people feel empowered to talk about their their disabilities, their needs, arising mm-hmm. from you know the, all sorts of things in life, right? So lots of people that would classify as being disabled don't consider themselves as disabled. So, mm-hmm. so talking about their needs and their wants and and what makes life better for them that needs to be part of a virtuous circle where when people do that, they're met with a positive response and action because otherwise you, you, you know, you don't make it worthwhile to, to identify. What's in it for me? Yeah, exactly. So, so, you know, you know, if, if they don't see a positive response to those, those requests and and that openness and and, and quite often it, it does take courage, right? Especially at the beginning of that that cycle of growth within an organization. Mm-hmm. It really does take some courage for people to to come out about their disabilities. If there isn't a positive response, then it, it kills the whole thing off. Um, so so that willingness of management to respond is, is really, really important.
1: Uh, well, we, I mean, I, I didn't honestly, Neil. In my career, I, I worked for smaller organizations, and I, I genuinely didn't know what executive sponsorship meant when I came into Microsoft. Yeah, it was like this weird term everyone was using. I was like, "What is this?" Yeah, and I was like, "Is it money?" <laughs> no, yeah, they sign on. The- <laughs> How many laps are you going
0: to do? A- <laughs> and if they have more money. They can put more per lap.
1: But, but what it was was uh, it was it was leader leader support, right? Leader yeah. leader sponsorship, and and. It took me a little while to work out, but I have, I mean, I have some amazing relationships with leaders at Microsoft, and they are the unlockers for the progress we make, yeah, massively, yeah. People in the business, you know, we're still hierarchical, as much as we all aim for flat management, yeah, there is hierarchy in the sponsorship uh, in, 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 in our world. Um, and so, when somebody—and I would even argue—we could take this into public life as well, right? Uh, I think I don't think this is just a business thing. Uh, but when somebody says, "I'm committed to this," uh, and I give you permission to be committed to this same journey, and you tell me what it is you want to do, and I will back you if you're trying to—if you want to make progress on this—that's how we all move forward. As as every kind of—it's not—I don't think it's not leaders. It's it's as as teams is how I, I generally feel about this. Some of my most favorite. Comm- there's another story from COP. I'm going to say this one. Uh, I just got told this week, but there was a comment at COP this week that Microsoft Stand was the only one that had the booth at wheelchair height. Yeah, wow. and it got no, and it got noticed. Okay, right now, now here's the beautiful thing about this. I don't remember any memo on this. I didn't get an email about it. Right, it's in the, it's in our principles. It's in our build standards for events. And I'm not an expert in building demo booths or anything like this okay that's not my job yeah but because we've grown a culture of inclusion at microsoft somebody in that team decided to make a micro commitment yeah to build to create a standard that this became what we did by default yeah and and that's the journey i think whether you're an hr professional whether you're a an it person whether you're a, a learning management system person that's a big topic in the workplace at the moment in terms of accessibility right you have permission. You you have to you have to be you have to seek permission to drive accessibility and inclusion forward. Yeah, because it does cost money sometimes. Right you now, I mean, it's like this. You know, change costs money. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but 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 it drives massive wins. And so when I ha- when I have a, a very senior exec brought this up with me earlier today that the booth was accessible, yeah? uh, and it's it like when they see that this is winning hearts and minds, and that people are noticing that you know, and it's becoming widespread. I love that. that. That's they're my favourite moments when people when people do what they're good at in an accessible way, not just us building just accessible products.
0: It can't be just us, right? Because there's too few of us, so we need everybody to 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 buy into this. And and and, and so yes, like you said, I like I'm going to steal micro commitments. I like that. So yeah. Yeah, good pro quo. Um, uh-huh. but- <laughs> my yeah. favorite my favorite micro commitment ne I know
1: you do this like religiously is make all your tweets accessible whenever I meet a team and they say like well, well, what do I what do you need to do first? I was like right first things first micro commit now every tweet accessible and and once you do that you start building muscle memory yeah it's like okay yeah there's a disability inclusion thought there okay do it Yeah, and and the number of people I now know who just do it religiously, though they just they just make sure all their social media is accessible, right? And they know that I'm occasionally I'm going to get the whip out and crack it if I see that they miss one. Mm. Yeah, okay. So there's always stick on accessibility as well, right? But actually, what they're doing is they're whether they whether they realise it or not is they're just building up, as I call it, muscle memory to to do something deliberate and inclusive, and then that probably weaves into something else that they do. Uh, The other one I always tell people is your email footer. Go now. Go and check your email footer now, if you're watching this, and run it through the accessibility checker and then make your template accessible. Like, okay. Because just that one thing means that you're putting out less pollution, Neil, right? yeah, uh, in, you know, into you know. the ecosystem.
0: So we had that micro commitment. So we have a, a thing that helps you create an email footer, a corporate, uh, you know, compliant with our branding email footer. Mm. And you can choose the various different corporate logos and the LinkedIn stuff. And, and when they designed it, they designed it with um, alt text in the images and all of yep. this kind of stuff. So that if you use our corporate footer creator, it should be accessible by default. There you go. There you so, go. And and again, that was through, that wasn't me that determined to do that. That was someone else that had, you know, drunk so, the
1: kool-aid yeah but there's a people analogy here neil i'm going to yeah. give it to you okay uh, what you're doing is you're putting the accessibility further up the supply chain yeah, yeah. You're like earlier earlier in the supply chain yeah now when we think about organizations the more we put commitment to disability inclusion further up the supply chain as in leaders saying okay this is my mm-hmm. expectation moving forward the rest of it just becomes more routinely accessible so so you know, I joined Microsoft because of Jenny Layflurry. I mean, that's that's, a, that's like the worst kept secret. I was like, oh, finally, you know, you could see like we're going in the right direction as a tech industry. Yeah? But because Jenny has a position of leadership in Microsoft and everyone knows her, yeah? you know, whether you're in real estate, marketing, sales, like there's no escape yet. Yeah? And... A position of authority that says this is a value. Okay. In the same way that sustainability is a value. Yeah. And we're committed to this. It, 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 it puts it further up the supply chain, or the, you know, as you might call it, and then it leads to just better behavior, more inclusion, better product down the thing. Without any claim of perfection, right? You know, like we drop the ball, you know, every business drops the ball occasionally. New teams get formed, the training, mandated training now at Microsoft, right? Everybody has to train on accessibility now. Uh, so, 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 I'm not, I'm not trying to be. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to claim perfection. Never claim perfection on accessibility. Right? It's going to get broken uh, at some point. But increasingly, what we have to do is just raise this conversation up a level in the organization. And I think that's where you start to see progress.
2: Yeah, well said. And, and I, I just want to say one more thing that I appreciate. Um, a couple of things about Microsoft <clears throat> is that I like that you have a chief accessibility officer. I wish ATOS would have a chief accessibility officer just saying. Um, <clears throat> I would like to see more corporations step up and show our community. Sorry, Neil. Um, I just think it's such an important statement to make. And I thought that when Francis West was made CAO for mm-hmm. IBM, and then Ginny Le Florey from Microsoft, I thought that we were seeing a trend to something really powerful yeah. and then I've seen nothing. So uh, I would just like to see more corporate I agree uh, with that. Matters.
1: I think Canada just put one in as well, though, didn't they? Oh, you know, fine, you know, fine, uh, fine. I might have yeah,
2: that. I tell okay. you what—that
1: that, that to me is—is uh, is Neil's future job here. Um, but but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think every government should have a chief accessibility. Well, I, Officer,
2: agree I, I agree with you. I mean,
1: if, if we truly believe this is a digital society that we're building, mm-hmm. yeah, and and I and I think you've got disability minister, you've got digital minister, yeah, you you, you, know, you have all these different roles, but but actually. The, the cross-section between digital and disability is accessibility. And, and you know the cost of building an inaccessible UK or inaccessible US is enormous. Yeah. You know, the extra cost that you get by just not routinely building in exclusion is huge. Yeah. So I, I think corporates have shown the way. I, uh, yeah. And I, I love francis's work and she really made, you know, that, that real change and continues to in the work she's doing now. Uh, but but To me, the next stage is what Canada are doing. Actually, I think I think that might be the next stage. Let's 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 say we don't just want disability ministers, and we need more. uh, Frankly, we need more disability ministers. There are not enough disability ministers uh, around the world. But actually, if we're going to have digital ministers, which we're increasingly seeing, yeah, uh, let's have accessibility ministers as well.
2: I agree. I agree. It's it's it says (laughs) a lot. Yeah, it says a lot to our community. Our community says a lot to the commitment. So.
0: So, so um, <laughs> I'm I'm definitely aware of what the Canada doing, and they they've actually appointed two senior roles, mm-hmm. the chief accessibility officer and another role responsible for the legal side of things. So, so, so it you know it's it's progressive. I uh, yeah. absolutely like to see similar things happen for other countries. And when we had um, June from the European Commission on that, was one of the questions we asked was whether or not you know. Um, Europe needs a chief accessibility officer monsieur Breton should you be listening as the uh, <laughs> uh, as uh, the responsible commissioner for the internal market with your 130 million disabled citizens or whatever it is then yeah. you know put it out there so I, I think that there's there's definitely, you know significant need for growth still all organizations still are massively imperfect when it comes to accessibility by the way my social media is imperfect too thanks for putting me on a pedestal I had a load of legacy stuff on a platform that didn't support it I've turned that Mm. platform off um, (laughs) and we made a conscious decision to move to a platform that costs a lot more money um, and takes quite a bit more work that but it does support accessibility. Oh. So you know we we're, we're 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 on that journey and we're walking that path. Um, I think I wanted to just circle back a little bit to the metaverse quickly before we finish. Oh. Um, we were talking about personalization and the potential and all of this stuff, so we second life and and people living in it. Now, um, some people really benefit from the the freedom that they get from living a different and and alternative life. Um, By the way, Second Life still has a million monthly active users and $500 million spent in transactions yearly. So if we think about the potential of the metaverse, if it goes to the kind of scale that Mark Zuckerberg or Satin Adela are Mm. About, then you know the the worth of this thing is you know, enormous. But at the same time, you know I'm, I'm I'm bringing it back to the day-to-day sort of working environment. And you talked about the the need for proximity because it's so much nicer seeing people in the flesh. Antonio and I were playing around with some of this tech a little while back. And Antonio had one of these avatars that connects into your camera, that that captures your reactions and and tries to uh, be quite realistic. And after about two minutes, my brain shut down. Now, I mean, I'm ADHD and I process things slightly differently. But there would be quite a large number of people like me where the cognitive load of some of this stuff is is tremendous. and. Mm -hmm. Some of that can be solved as we remove latency, because what it is is there is a delay going on and and also tech will improve so that it gets better at understanding reactions. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, we need to find ways to enable people not to be overwhelmed by it. So again, it's coming back to that whole sort of conscious design of allowing people preferences within systems.
1: There, are, there, are, there are websites that do the same thing to you, though, right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some. There are some. So, so, absolutely. I think, and I, I think what not to
0: use them, but the exactly, is exactly when you're when you're um, in a working environment, for example, mm-hmm. if you're using whatever the Facebook um, virtual world working environment is, or or if you were using immersive meetings mm. with avatars. Mm in in a, you know, say, for for example, Teams, I, you know, mm. it becomes a bit more difficult to avoid it because it's in a working environment. So then the importance of being able to configure stuff to make it non-hostile mm. and, 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 and accommodating of your needs is, is, you know, elevated, I would say.
1: Yeah. I, I just keep coming back to this thing of representation. You know, um, yeah. we've got... You know, there's no prediction, is there, on how what the rate of adoption is going to be on this? No. Yeah. Uh, my my eldest loves his Oculus, by the way. <laughs> you know, uh, and you know he still loves his Xbox, right? Exactly. So, so you know, but, but, so he's got he's got his experience in his Oculus, and, and and there are times when I sit there and I just think he comes down with a face mask, you know, markings around his face, you know, because he's spent far too long in it, uh, and I was like. Hey, like what, like what is it you get out of being in there? And it is different. You know, it is a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to be fascinating to, you know, hit, I think maybe the call to action, Neil, that there's like, remember, like you're the expert in accessibility. We are the experts in you know, the, the traditional accessibility space, but none of us are getting any younger, right? Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so so we've got, as accessibility people, maybe we should all jump in there very quickly Yeah, and, and, and start to, you know, start to give our experience to the emerging tech people Uh, I remember I remember when certain other platforms came out that were born inaccessible yeah yeah Yeah. 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 (laughs) that's right and and, and actually people always ask me like why Microsoft like so invested in this space I was like well because we've been doing it in office since like the you know the eight whatever it is you know I don't even
2: know if y'all hadn't made accessibility um, a priority so early, I know yes. you were accessible. Your mm-hmm. operating system was accessible at 3.1. I'm definitely yeah. telling my age. I couldn't have created Tech Access where the, all of the technologists with disabilities worked from home, nursing homes. You know, yeah. we couldn't. Have, I couldn't have created a company, and then on top of it, and I've said this on air before, it's a long time ago, but we learned to do accessibility from Microsoft and IBM because Microsoft has so much good training resources, and at yeah. the time IBM did too. I don't know if they still do. So we actually taught our team. <laughs> but we couldn't even have had a tech access if Microsoft had not committed. And I'm not saying Microsoft is accessible across the board. You're not, because like you said, hmm. it's an ongoing thing. Technology's changing so fast. Nobody can be accessible all the time. Yeah, I don't, we can't. It's moving too fast, but I want to applaud what Microsoft has done from the beginning because our community has benefited from it.
1: And we've got to take the... You know the muscle memory from those organi- those teams that are responsible for that legacy. You know the history of accessibility and technology, and make sure they're in there yes. talking to the emerging technologists. Yeah, because yes. because yeah, I mean it's it, it, it's it's never surprising when something is born inaccessible. It's never you know, but. But we have, to, we, our responsibility is the people who do this and have the legal rec- you know, responsibility and all these other things. We've got to be the ones that actually kind of, you know, break the door down and say, hey, let us in. We need to, we need a we need to chat. <laughs> uh, I, 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 and actually, Neil, let me just say one other thing. I think the more this world gets digital around us, we're not going to be talking just about Windows or iOS or, you know, you know, or Chrome, you know, whatever, or Internet Explorer, Edge, Safari. <laughs> in terms of the, the environment, we're going to be talking about, you know, car operating systems banking operating systems they're going to have to learn about accessibility you know in terms of their systems being you know the platforms that they're built on having all of this accessibility built into them one of my favorite things that i see right now i just i just chatted in one of those corridor moments because we're back in the office uh, to a colleague and he was telling me about the power apps that they've built for three government customers over here and he was like oh we made them all accessible because the accessibility checker that was in Office migrated to the accessibility checker in the Power Platform, wow. which then, you know, see what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's almost like view it as heritage, right? It, it, it's like, well, we had an accessibility checker in that platform, so let's take it to this platform. Well, we're going to need it in, you know, vehicle operating systems, right? You know, I, I was talking about, you know, blind folk are going to be driving cars in know sure. I know, I know. You know I mean, so, My so, daughter will get
2: to drive. Right. But there's, there's,
1: going to, there's going to need to be a screen reader functionality built into that, right? You know, and all this kind of stuff. So, so going back to kind of us as assistive technologists and accessibility professionals, we're going to be really important moving forward, right? And it's not just going to be in tech companies. We're going to be in clothing companies. We're going to be in car companies. Yeah. We're going to be everywhere.
0: That, that's the hope. Yeah. No, I, I see it too. Um, it's always. <laughs> uh, an interesting, and engaging conversation and we can go on for hours. Unfortunately, we've gone over our time. Um, Sorry. Not surprised. No,
2: it was a no,
0: Absolutely. But we need to thank our friends, Barclays Access, Microlink and, and Mike Leotex for keeping us on air and captioned and accessible. Hector will join you on Twitter on Tuesday. Really look forward to it.
2: It's always a pleasure. All right. Thanks all.